Coach O, bitch. Retired head coach of the Mellison Utahs and Old Piss Rebels. And, uh, you know, interim coach and assistant and blah, blah, blah. You all know that. Anyway, I want to wish y'all a um, happy new year. You know, Coach O will have a good year. I think them uh, sports going to have a good year. Um, last year was kind of crazy with everything. Maybe them, uh, you know, the Saints did not live up to expectations. Uh, the Mellison Utahs did. And they, they exceeded the expectations. You know, it's good. I, 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 I got to give your boy Kelly credit. I mean, you know, he may talk funny, but uh, he got that team playing good. And, uh, you know, that album, they got some good good position players and skilled players. And uh, <laughs> speaking of positions, you know, Coach O has been a position coach. And I've been uh, in a lot of positions and uh, put a lot of women in different positions, too. Because <laughs> I am Coach O, bitch. And I am the Cajun pimp. I am the H.C. I see head Cajun in charge, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I just want to let y'all know everything's going to be all good. Got a lot of good bowl games coming on. They got that um, Bogalusa Weed Eater Bowl, and they got the uh, the Talis Chic Toilet Bowl. And, I mean, they got some dumb bowl games, but they got some good ones, too. And, you know, I mean, everybody's playing a bowl game. To them, that's the championship, you know, unless they opting out because they're a bunch of chickens. But uh, that's another story, baby. Coach, I don't care about no damn old NF, NIT, NFT, whatever the, you know, uh, transdermal uh, portal, whatever that crap. You know, just play ball, boy. Get out there and play some damn ball. You know, that's my, my philosophy. Well, I want y'all to take it sleazy. This is not there antelope with your boy belts. And we're going to have a good year. Go Tigers, go Saints, go Yankees. Go Tigers. I am Coach O, bitch. Cycles. We'll lose part of the system for a while. You know, there's a finite amount of memory. You can't use it for everything. We're going to compile for half an hour. Go ahead. All of you. We're approaching the Tyrannosaur paddock. Welcome to the Sports Antelope, episode number 132. We're just running the offense. That's right, baby. What are you doing, Belts? We're just running the offense. I'm going to do that right here on this show. Sing it, Kenny! Kenny Loggins, ladies and gentlemen, is breaking even with the rest of us on Danny Belts' seesaw of love. That is 2022. We'll recap that was last week, as well as some Instagram plays. We have a really big slate of plays coming in here into the first round of the playoffs. Bro Exotic is in. I don't know what he's talking about, but it's pretty funny, so we'll get to that. Drunk Neighbor is out. He is dealing, I think his in-laws are in town, and they got him running around to the store, and he's probably going to get cucked today. I don't know. Tommy Bench somehow is out, even though he's staying at my parents' house four miles from my house. How lazy can one get? I have no idea. But the good news for you is, is Danny Belts is coming through. I want to talk about Mike Leach for one brief moment. I want to talk about what I didn't talk about last week, the Joker and Luca. Just a quick one there. And then I want to talk about Colorado, Deion Sanders and his son moving into what I'm talking about as we're just running the offense. So thanks for tuning in today. Be sure and follow us at the Sports Antelope. Rate, subscribe, and review. Hey, if you're not doing anything, reach out and touch a brother and tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today. Right now. Let's recap the picks last week. So before we get into much of the, uh, well, let's just talk about a few things first before I recap the picks. So as we all know, Mike Leach passed away and I was able to see him speak uh, just months ago. Matter of fact, in March in Starkville, Mississippi at the Department of Transportation, they're a customer of ours. And I went, I had a booth there and I listened to the man talk for about an hour in the basketball um, in the basketball gym or the arena, whatever they call it. And he was as funny as I thought he would be in person. Somebody had an Easter candy joke for uh, Easter candy question. And much like the Halloween candy question, someone asked him same response. He just went on and on about peeps and chocolate peeps and licorice jelly beans and the stuff <laughs> guys, just hilarious. And, uh, you know, it was really awful to see what happened. The way it went down as fast as it happened. I think most everybody like Mike Leach and, you know, he's a Trump guy and, you know, the Pac-12 and most big colleges aren't really about that, but he stood his ground and said, I'm allowed to like and support who I want. And that's how this country should be, right? Unfortunately, it's not. It's pretty one-sided when it comes to certain things, lest you be, you know, one of those MAGA clan wearing uh, MAGA hat people that everybody seems to be associated with. That's like me saying, 
Oh, you're a Democrat? Well, so is John Wayne Gacy. I mean, yeah, it's just ridiculous how the association with Republicans and this other insanity. But anyway, so it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see him speak. And, and what was really cool was, I don't know if anybody had a chance to see it, but in the beginning of the Texas Tech Ole Miss game, uh, Texas Tech broke out into that air raid formation with the spread offensive line and the stacked receivers on the far end, wide out. And they did that in honor of Mike Leach until it was delay of game. And then Lane Kiffin understood what was going on and then declined the penalty. And then they got the game started. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool to watch. So was the Arkansas game. My God, triple overtime or something crazy with Kansas. We'll be discussing that briefly here as we'll get right into that when I want to recap everything. See how fast I get ahead of myself and I don't have a producer here? It's ridiculous. Get the cows back in the barn. So one thing I want to touch on real quick before we even get into anything with the Bulls and what I want to discuss is the fact that last week I didn't have time to talk about it, but I do, so I'm going to talk about it right now. So I'm sure we all saw Luka Donich, another ridiculous triple-double. I think he had like 60, 20-something and 20 I don't even know. I mean, at the end of the game, he had to make a free throw. See, another team did what I always scream to do. When you're up by three in the waning seconds, foul somebody, the guy with the ball, put him on the line. Now they have to make the first one, miss the second one intentionally, get the rebound, and put it in. That's like a five-team parlay. Or as if you let him shoot, only one thing has to happen, it goes in. So, of course, Luca misses the, misses the second one, makes the first one, misses the second one, somehow puts it back in. I don't know. The guy's just absurd. But watching these two guys play, Luca and Joker, for the Nuggets, is uh, it's kind of otherworldly. One of my buddies had a good, a good quote. He said, the Joker just kind of lumbers up the court until he does exactly what he's supposed to do offensively. That's kind of a great description. He just kind of lumbers his way up the court and does something really basketball high IQ. The way they run that offense through him, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Dallas does the same thing, but they do it a little less. Most of the Nuggets offense just runs right from the high post to an outside, to an end of the Joker. I mean, you don't really see that guy, many guys that tall that can shoot threes around 40%, that can hit every mid-range jumper he wants, passes like Pistol Pete, can dribble the basketball, can guard in the post, can guard the basketball in the perimeter. It's pretty, it's pretty insane. Won the MVP last year. He might win it again. His numbers are better than they are this year. And really, when you look at the collective um, attributes this guy brings to the table, we've never really seen anything like it. If you want to go by sheer efficiency stats alone, that's another thing. But the fact that the Denver Nuggets just kind of get up the court, give it to him, and they basically, he either does one of three things. First of all, he does a pretty nasty play-action pass. You're probably wondering what the hell that means in basketball. Pretty simple. The guards, just when they pass to him, they'll just run right by him shoulder to shoulder, and he'll fake the handoff like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. He may even catch some head fakes doing it too. The guy throws the basketball around with one hand like it's a golf ball because his hands are the size of frying pans. There's no way to guard this guy. There really isn't. I've seen just about everything. You can try the double team, but then he's just going to find the open man. You can stick on him. You can kind of stick to that zone, but he can really shoot. You can try to frustrate him with like an aggravated double team or almost a triple team, but he's just going to continue to find the only person that gets open. No matter what you do, this man's going to beat you. And the last game they played, they ran it through him like 51 times in a row. In other words, he has his hands on the ball for like 50-something straight possessions that were not fast breaks. And it is a, it is a marvel to watch like this, this brand of basketball where you're running it through a center like it kind of used to be with the triangle and Shaq, except it wasn't always through Shaq, except this is just give it to the man on the free throw line extended and he'll just figure it out. <laughs> and he, he does. And it is, it is nothing short of incredible to watch this happen. And if you ever have a chance to watch the Nuggets, I, I, I think you should uh, for many reasons. And, and one of it, we've never seen this before, and I'm not really sure we'll, we'll see it again. But anyway, so let's just go over these real quick. There were some that were put on the Instagram page, and those did not really work out too well. So we had, let's start with the NFL, Vikings, Giants, over 48. There was about 25 points scored in the fourth quarter. It was very fortunate that we got there, uh, but we did get there. That's all that really matters. Eagles-Cowboys under first half, 23 and a half. One of the worst plays of the year. 
you know, Dallas goes down there, Philly kicks a field goal, and then the ensuing possession picks six, so you get 10 points in the first couple minutes, and then both these defenses couldn't do anything to stop each other, so that was a miserable play, miserable. We also had ULL on the show, getting the 7.5, leading by 13 points at halftime and almost didn't cover. We covered by a hook. That was ridiculous. I'm glad it didn't really – it almost got a little more ugly than it should have been, really. Instagram, I took the New Mexico State Bowling Green over 48, two fumbles inside the 10-yard line. I mean, I, this is the theme of, of the year. There's no business that game had going under, and it did. Also, we had the Arkansas-Kansas over 68. That was one of the most exciting games I've ever seen in my life, featuring a ton of overtimes, a ridiculous comeback by Kansas. And when people say these ball games don't matter and it doesn't matter, you really could have fooled me. It looked like it mattered to Arkansas and Kansas, no matter who was on that field or who opted out. It was a phenomenal football game and definitely an instant classic as Arkansas is able to win at the end because Kansas runs some annexation of Puerto Rico with a receiver who throws the ball farther than Uncle Rico over them there mountains and into the stands instead of at one of his own teammates. So Arkansas wins by two. Funny part is that line closed at two and a half. <laughs> so if you took the two and a half, another reason why. You always take the points under three with a favorite and you or with an underdog, take the points and you always lay the money line when you have the favorite. Either you would have won there, but don't ever do that. Don't ever lay two and a half points and don't, yeah, and don't take the money line when you're getting two and a half points. Doesn't make sense. <clears throat> That's the second time this year Arkansas <laughs> has had a two-point loss on a two-and-a-half-point spread. But anyway, the other one being Duke, Central Florida, over 62, one of the worst bets in my life. You know, <clears throat> it didn't have a chance, even though there was 31 points at halftime. It, it, it really just is amazing how bad Gus Malzahn is and just how stupid their offense is. Three, four, excuse me. Four times in the first half, three in the second, seven times UCF would fail to convert a third down while running some sort of lateral high school play that Duke just sniffs out and hammers for 10-yard losses a pop. It is incredible how that man has a job. I don't get it. I deserve that loss. Then I added the Oregon team total over 44 and a half to Instagram. Loser. 14 points at halftime. It never even got close. You know, this just shows how sad the Pac-12 is. Look, nobody could stop that team inside the Pac-12 all year. Only two teams stopped them, Georgia and then the unthinkable North Carolina, who gave up 900 yards rushing to App State and broke an ACC record for points scored against as well as first downs gotten against and yards gained against. It's horrible. And UNC looks like spry. It looked like the Ravens. 20 years ago, it, it's, it's not good for North Carolina. And I know they almost had 10 wins, but, or excuse me, for Oregon. But that's just, North Carolina is probably the worst defensive team in the country. And they should have lost that game. They got lucky that Mac Brown just cucked and elected to kick a bunch of field goals inside the red zone. One, I'm kicking a field goal from the three-yard line. You know, this is this pussy-ass shit that drives me crazy. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, do you really think kicking a field goal here is really going to inevitably win you the game? <clears throat> your, your defense is horrible. You know, they're going to get down there and score eventually, and they did back-to-back -back drives, and Bo Nix beat you. Last play of the game, fourth and two, last pass of that kid's career, and he runs out and throws a bullet in an amazing spot. The ball's caught, and they win the game. So, you know, North Carolina and Mac Brown deserve that. When you play weak and you play with scared money, then, then you're going to lose money. So that was just a pathetic act of cowardry and cuckoldry uh, by North Carolina. And had they just played more aggressive at the end of the game, they win that game. They win that game. But they decided not to, and so you lose, sir. All right, so what are you talking about here, Belts? We're just running the offense. Well, I'm glad, glad, glad that you asked. So got the housekeeping stuff out of the way, and now we can kind of get right into this, you know, the nitty-gritty. Here we go. Little drum roll. <laughs> so if you don't know, I had to call Benny Hanna. You know who Benny Hanna is after his amazing role last week, and or his amazing rip last week, excuse me. If you didn't know, Benny Hanna coming on last week to give us a movie review of Avatar Way of the Water, and it was uh, hilarious. Uh, and he has earned himself a new title as he was texting me something. He, he said that he had a moral obligation, is the way he texted me, to tell you all about not losing $15. We're calling him the MMO from now on, the Minister of Moral Obligation, Minister of Moral Obligation for him to come on as he is obligated to tell us 
movies we should not waste $15 on like Avatar. So what another amazing piece to the ever-growing, ever-growing puzzle that is the sports antelope. I had to go back to Benny Hanna again, back to the well, because he's the Patriots connoisseur of the, of the sorts. And I said, what was that game where Belichick got grilled for blowing out a pro sports team and people were pit? And he's like, that was Buffalo. Uh, the year that the Patriots went 18-0, they played Buffalo on Sunday night football and beat them by 60 points. Randy Moss had three touchdowns in like 200 yards in the first half, maybe the first quarter, and the game was over. And afterwards, Bill's fans were complaining about them running the score up. Their drunk neighbor feels the same way as I and most. Professional football teams, professional football teams more or less on defense in the NFL, complaining about people running up the score, you should kill yourself if you play defense. If you're, if you're a professional cornerback and you're bitching about this, you, you should jump off a cliff because that is the dumbest, stupid shit I've ever heard in my life. This isn't Alabama racking up the, you know, racking up the points on Citadel on homecoming here. You know, you play, you make millions of dollars. You're the best in the world at this position. You don't like it, stop somebody. And I have no problem with the Patriots. The Saints did this to the Eagles a few years ago and the Eagles were bitching about it. It was like fourth and four from the Saints 40. They're up by 20. 20. You don't want to punt. You don't want to kick a field goal. So you go for it. You give them a chance to stop you. And Breeze hits Kamara down the sidelines for another touchdown. And they had something to say about that too. As of course, that city will have a lot to say as they play the team from New Orleans this week, which I unfortunately will not be watching. Uh, But I think we're going to talk about that game somehow uh, for one minute on this show. I have no choice. But, you know, there's the Bills getting destroyed like this kind of created some, not controversy, but people were just mad because the Patriots were beating professional teams by 90. Me personally, I think it's hilarious and awesome. And, and they asked Belichick what he was doing. One reporter, I could not find the interview, but I saw the transcript. I found that. And it went a little something like this. Uh, Coach, do you feel it was a little excessive at the end to go forward on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal or maybe punting? And he kind of says, well, we just wanted a chance to give him the ball back. I can't do a Belichick at all. We just wanted a chance to give him the ball back. And he says, I don't know what to tell you. We're just running the offense. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you, Chief. We're just running the offense. Boy, what do you want me to do? You want me to tell the guys to fall down? You cuck. We're just running the offense. If I didn't love Belichick enough already. Well, and that was years ago. Holy crap, man. It's like 13, 14 years ago. That quote can be taken, and we've talked about it before. We've done a kind of an episode like this, but not nearly in the depth in which we're going to go to today. So strap in your seatbelts, take out a pen and paper, preferably a piece of loose leaf, not the printer paper because you want to stay within the margins of the lines and all that good stuff. I'll try to speak slow, but you write all this down now. It's important stuff, okay? All right. <laughs> so <clears throat> Belichick saying that, that is transferable to just about every aspect of life. We're just running the offense. In other words, telling the reporter, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to just give them the football? Do you want us to go maybe put a little Band-Aid on their knee? Huh? Rub some oil in their tushy? Like, what, what do you want? We're just running the goddamn offense. You don't like it? Stop it. So I think there's a, a, a tons of times as we, in particular, we just don't run the offense. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why we choose to do this professionally. We don't try, you know, some sports teams choose to just stop running the offense. I'll never understand it. But the Patriots certainly did, I'll tell you that. Neither did the Saints, as this happened oh too many times in New Orleans, just these blowouts would be handed out, particularly on primetime football. And I guess if you had to, you know, talk about what Belichick was doing, let's stick to that as I talk about this first one. So people have talked about this scenario uh, ad nauseum, and the thing about it is it's never explained in the correct terms. I'm going to talk about what happened on February 1st of 2015 when the Super Bowl, when the Seahawks played the Patriots. That's a good segue right there because I was just talking about Belichick and now I'm talking about the Patriots. See how that works? So (laughs) everyone just wants to think that if you give the ball to Marshawn Lynch at the end there, he just walks in the end zone and the game is over. Whenever a bunch of fans have a consensus on something, it usually is a wrong consensus or one that is really stupid. Remember, fan is short for fanatic, so it's not like they have some sort of valid opinion or anything you want to keep treat as gospel, to say the least. Let me explain to everybody what's happening in this situation. There's a running clock. There's 26 seconds left. The ball is placed a little outside the one-yard line, so it's about three point one one point by four feet. We'll say 1.1 yards away from the goal line. 
The clock is running, as I said, and Seattle only has one timeout. It's second down. Clock gets to about 25 seconds. As you know, the ball is snapped, thrown, intercepted by Malcolm Butler, and that's basically it. Everybody wants to jump around and go crazy because that was the stupidest thing they've ever seen and all this. Well, no, actually it wasn't. You want to know why? Seattle was just running the offense. And let me tell you why. So they've done that play, as you know, if you don't know, maybe about a thousand times, and it works every time. When it doesn't work, it's overthrown, and you'll just replay. You know, it's not a turnover. It's almost impossible for this play to produce an interception. But the problem people don't understand is that Marshawn Lynch that game had already been jacked up in the backfield three times, three on three third and inches. The fact that people think that this beast mode guy just gets in the end zone to me is befuddling. Not only is Tom Brady a huge part of what made the Patriots great and the coaching staff, but their defense, I feel, just is an afterthought. How many times have you seen the Patriots have a goal line stand in Brady's tenure? I don't know, a thousand? What would lead you to believe that they just let Marshawn Lynch in here? They're going to sell out to the run. They know, you know, this is what they're going to do. Here's what probably happens. Lynch gets stopped about two feet short of the goal line. And the Patriots aren't in any hurry to move. So they'll be laying on him like beached whales right there ahead of the goal line. You're going to have to burn your last timeout. Now you have no timeouts. And now it's third and goal from the two-foot line. Now you can't run it. Because if you run it and don't get in, the game's going to end before you can take your fourth down play. No one wants that. So in essence, if he does get stopped, they call timeout. And now you're able to probably get it together on what you want to do the next two plays even if he gets stuffed. If you throw it here and it's incomplete and not a touchdown, you still have your timeout. You can still run the football. And if you don't get in, you can stop the clock. That's what was going through their head. They're just running the offense. And I thought it was the right move. I, I, that works 99 out of 100 times. And it didn't that one time. And every fan out there gets to give their opinion, as the drunk neighbor would say, on how stupid that was. When in all actuality, you're stupid. Because people just think that beast mode is just going to waltz on in the end zone. Because the Patriots don't know anything about goal line stands. Oh, well, let me tell you. They just know a lot about that. How many times have you seen teams... Never mind. If I had to explain this, then I'm just wasting everyone's time, including my own. So clearly we can see they're just running the offense. It didn't really work out. It did not work out the way it should have. Oh, well. Politically, you can run the offense in many different ways, too. You ever heard of Steve Schmidt? Probably not. Steve Schmidt is a professional cuckold, if you did not know. He is also uh, one of political advisory, and he was the one that was running John McCain's campaign against President Obama. This man is a pathological liar and is very, very, very uh, confused as he was with the Republican Party between 1988 to 2018, then became an independent between 2018 and 2020 because he hates Trump. Now he identifies as a Democrat. So that's he's going full circle, and that's fine, or complete 180, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't matter to me. Recently quoted, the Republican Party is an organized conspiracy for the purposes of maintaining power for self-interest and the self-interest of its donors' class. It's no longer dedicated to American democracy. Spoken like a true fucking retard. Am I allowed to say that? How about spoken like an idiot? Because that is the dumbest, dumbest thing I've heard in a while. But that's not really what I want to talk about is what the man stands for. It's how he ran the offense. So I'm gonna, we're going to lead into number three here in one second. But let me just tell you, when you are a campaign manager, I know a little bit about this, kind of. But when you are a campaign manager for something that big of magnitude, you need to get ready to get in the mud, okay? Because they're not. They're not scared is what I meant. They're not scared to get in the mud. The Democrats love this. They're good at it. I would do the same thing. The moral, quote unquote, high road does you nothing. You know, let's just talk about some obvious things here, right? President Obama, no one knows his, no one knows his whereabouts basically between 1979 and 1985. There's a lot of, a lot of gray area there for, the, uh, you know, for to be a president. There's supposed to be none of that really, right? Uh, he has uh, a lot of meetings with Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers, go look that up, A-Y-E-R-S. A convicted domestic terrorist twice, uh, meeting with this guy constantly, the Reverend Wright, right? Goddamn America. The Bill Ayers thing's the scariest by far. 
constantly quoting rules for radicals, the Saul Alinsky, the father of community organizing. All these are big red flags, huge red flags. Just no one knows what any of it mean. But the chance we, the chance McCain has to bring this stuff up if he wants to fight. And look, I'm not, I'm not giving you my opinion on anything. I'm just telling you what the red flags were in that administration. But this, this offense over here with McCain, the cuck, Sarah Palin, who could barely spell, I guess. And then over here you have, you know, Schmidt. They just ran this, this cuckold type of, okay, we'll just be nice. and put, but That's not going to win you anything. So you're not running the offense. Don't run the offense. The Republican Party always plays defense. That's why people like Donald Trump, like me. It's because we feel that his talent, I did one on this, his talent outweighed the baggage. And there's a lot of baggage with that guy. Probably more than any other president ever, if you really want to get down to it. But at the same time, the talent was I was able to overlook certain things. I don't care. Things are going well. We don't need to get into that. But the point is that, you know, when you're going to run a political campaign, you need to be the aggressor. You cannot sit back. You know, Mitt Romney came after Obama in the first debate four years later after that. I talked about that. But McCain just sat there and cucked. And, and listening to his political advisor, Schmidt, who ran the campaign, it absolutely destroyed the man. He didn't have a chance. You're playing into the Democrats' head. You're constantly playing defense. You're constantly reacting to what they do. You never want to react to anything, ever. But they did, and they got whipped. And I won't take anything away from President Obama because they did run probably the best political campaign I've ever seen in my life next to the one that Trump ran, being as where he beat the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. They both were very well ran campaigns. Being put in a position where you have to react is always going to put you at a disadvantage. It doesn't matter if you're playing poker, if you're selling. So if you're playing poker and you're reacting to something, this is what, this is what the aggressor wants. He wants you to react. Uh, he doesn't want you to take control of the bus. He wants to drive the bus and he wants you in the back. He, he, he wants to drive this thing. The same thing in, in, in politics It'd be the same thing in sports, right? You, you know, offenses are trying to make defenses react to what they're doing. And good offenses can do that when you're running the offense. And the Republicans just simply don't know how to do that. I've talked about this five times the last four years. And I have to go back one more time because I never spoke about it to this type of micro. So 2004 was a big election for, you know, Bush was running against Kerry. There's a bunch of Senate seats up and I ran, helped the Jim DeMint uh, Senate run against Inez Tenenbaum. Now, let me explain to you. I haven't talked about this part of yet, so, so bear with me. So I had no part in this in the beginning. I had no part in it because I knew the people that were in the Republican side of things for Johnson and Wales. They had some weak-ass tie into the College of Charleston, but all those guys, they were all weak. And together they formed like a weak-ass Voltron. So really, I didn't really want anything to do with any of this. And long story short, one of the guys that I, he went to College of Charleston and I worked with him, he begged me to come into one of the meetings, just like, look, man, like, this is basically what he said. We need someone to kind of take charge of this thing, and, and you need to hear what these people are saying. I, he's like, I don't know really what I want you to do there. I just want you there, and you'll figure it out. I was like, I think I understand what you're saying, so I'll go with you. So we went in there, and then there's about 30, 30, 40 people in this room, and there's absolutely no communication, right? Everyone has like an agenda and everyone's talking and I'm just sitting here taking it all in, okay? And clearly I can see their offense consists of nothing. Their offense consists of not even walking out on the field. Their offense consists of sitting on the bench and letting the, letting the other team basically just play against ghost figures as they're not even on the field. They may as well not have been. They're mannequins as far as I'm concerned. I could do a whole thing on this, but I'll spare you that. My point is not only were they not organized, is they were weak, weak very weak and that's not good because the other side the democrat side of things for the student unions to both the schools johnson and wells and the college of charleston were not weak i'll tell you that right now they were very aggressive and they were very aggressive on their ground game and they were very aggressive in interfering with things they were very aggressive getting in your face they were very aggressive and able to basically intimidate the other side to the point where these people were just Scared to even come out of their, you know, apartments and do anything with the political convictions that they may or may not have had on the side they picked, which is the Republican side of things in this instance. And this is where that guy wanted me to come in. So I'm listening to one of these girls talk about their last, you know, outing and how it was basically sabotaged and destroyed as they're trying to get the voice out there to sway some younger voters in college. A very difficult task, a very daunting task. 
And the way it was explained to me was basically these these a few guys and a few girls just came on and like pushed them off the stage. Not really, but kind of just overpowered them and made them leave. Uh, that this is I, I said now can you run that back for me one time? She ran the story back and I said, huh. So let me get this straight. You guys had the petition to go speak where you were. You had the location identified and checked off on to speak in. And you got pushed out by the opposition because of what? Well, we just don't want to get... Huh? Okay. We're not going to do that. Let me tell you what we're going to do. So after about five minutes, my buddy jumps in and goes, this is why I wanted him here. I swear to God, it was so funny. They were looking at me like I was half, you know, insane. But I'm telling them, look, we need to run the offense. They need to react to us. We do not need to react to them. And if you think getting aggressive, if you're worried about that, leave that to me. Uh, and I had a few select people. And basically, I mean, look, I'm not trying to sound like we started fights or anything. But needless to say, the next time they had the little powwow set up, oh, they got a, they, they, they got a big whiff of Danny Belts in the first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And it was actually fun for me because I thrive on that shit anyway. So long story short here is that we have a here we have a situation where there is no offense. And then when we find out what the offense is, it's not gonna it's not reacting to what these guys are doing. It's no huddle, up the field, make them react, no timeouts, let's get in the end zone. In that order, it's that simple. You can take the political aspect of things and you could just do a whole 30,000 hours on this. My point is I'm just trying to show you the different ways in which you can run the offense in sports and in politics or maybe in your job and in other ways in which you can let go of the offense, and once you do that, you will be reacting to the other side every single time. And it never benefits anyone to be on that side of the table. You know, for me, it's inherent. I have to run the offense. That doesn't mean I have to speak when I'm in a meeting. It doesn't mean I have to be the, quote, alpha male, whatever the hell that means. And it doesn't mean that I have to always be in a spotlight. It just means that's when it's time for me to make my decision and act, no matter what that is. It's not reacting to what I'm seeing. It is a aggressive move to make someone or something or a situation then react to what I've done. And if you're able to do that, this is how you're able to win. You know, selling against your competition would be the most obvious example. And we could, again, go on and on and on about that. In sports, you know, <clears throat> uh, if I could just say one more thing, I, I'm sorry here. But they, that, that, that situation I just said, I told them this. I said, with the Republican part, the young Republicans, I said, I wrote this down, forgot to read it. I was like, you guys all remind me of a lost child in a grocery store who one of the workers finds and pages the mother on the, on the you know, the, the pager. Excuse me, uh, is there a mother of uh, Carl the Cuck? Can you come pick up your son? Just, that's what they sounded like. Two of the girls actually walked out when I said that. I really want to spend more time on this one here, but it'll just take away from the message as a whole. So we'll just keep moving. You know, in sports, there's 10 trillion examples of this. Uh, it doesn't always have to be, it doesn't always have to be actually an offense. Sometimes your defense can be your offense. And in basketball, you know, Virginia would be a good example of that. When Virginia was able to win the national championship against Texas Tech. The game before that was a very, very, very difficult game versus Auburn, a game that was decided by one point. And down the stretch, it looked to be that somehow uh, somehow Auburn had found a way to really score on this defense. They started getting extremely easy buckets, and Tony Bennett calls timeout. They're down by five. Bennett calls timeout, and the announcers were even talking about, well, it looks like they're going to have to finally get out of that pack line. These guys are hitting threes now. They're going to have to play straight man. Virginia doesn't like to play straight man. They run that pack line defense. That's how they held teams to 56 points a game that year. And even I thought that Tony Bennett was now going to react to Auburn's ridiculous, you know, shooting from 30 feet. But no, he doubled down on the pack line, brought it in even tighter, brought it in even tighter and said, I dare you guys to shoot. You're not getting the rebound. You can't keep making these shots. We're not changing our defense. This is how we're going to run our offense, so to speak. We're not reacting to jack shit. And because they stayed with that, they forced Auburn into some bad possessions down the stretch and then down by two, run a play with the utmost patience of uh, just unbelievable patience for a dude to get fouled on a (laughs) three-pointer. 
and he makes all three and they win by one. Tony Bennett could have easily gotten out of what got them there. Easily. I mean, could have just moved right out, right? But he didn't, and there's a reason why. He's just running the offense. And I'll throw one more at you here, just as a, a social example. We've gotten into the politics, the sports, the real-life things. I would get into some selling, but I've talked about uh, selling the last like few episodes with some stories and such, so we don't need to go there. But a friend of mine in college, he went to Trident Tech. That's the like community college that was across the street from Johnson & Wales to where I went. It's, it's also a, a, oh, it's a way better school than Johnson & Wales. That ain't saying much. But this dude had been chasing the girl around, this one particular girl around forever. Forever. Since the first day I met this guy, I would, I would like the running joke was, are you mad her yet? And so I was like, nah, man, but I got it right where I want her. This dude relentlessly went after the hottest chick in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. I mean, that's a huge statement. She played volleyball for Kyle to Charles. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I don't want to sit here and, you know, I'm, I'm happily married and all, but let's put it this way. This chick was really tall, really pretty. Really smart, and um, I guess everybody would want her to, you know, date her or whatnot. Well, this dude was convinced that he was going to do that, and I actually saw him get rejected by her twice. Once at a bar called Portacol, which is down on King Street. It's no longer there. And the other at King Street Girl, almost in back-to-back months, which is just one block up King Street a little bit. Anyway, and this dude stuck with this, stuck with this, and his game was simple. It was just he's going to keep coming at this chick until she literally says, I have a restraining order on you, or if you come near me again, you're going to get arrested. But I could tell she kind of liked it. He was different. He, was a, he wasn't a big jock. He was just a really funny dude. He wasn't the best looking dude. He looked like me, just normal size, you know, all this. And <laughs> you fast forward, fast forward to 2007, I'm flying out to their wedding in Oklahoma. <laughs> he married her. They started dating in like 2006 and he married her. They have four kids. It is unbelievable. It is just, the, it's an amazing story of just, not just persistence, but he basically never stopped run- the same offense. Look, you don't have to dance with the one you came with, okay? But you have to dance. And whether it's my friend right here or whether it's something you have to do, you know, with your job, we talk about the sports gambling We talk about the sports examples, the political examples, and we could go in a thousand different directions. But the point is, is my my opinion on the matter is not going to change. See, we as men, we naturally, we want to abandon a game plan that's not working. We we do. Okay. And the reason why is because we just really don't want to fail. All right. So it's almost human. It's a perfectly normal thing. To want to scrap the playbook when it's not working. You know, it's a perfectly normal thing for coaches to scrap the game plan when it's 14-0 and the other team has the ball. Or you try to script 10, 20 plays and they're just not working. The hard thing to do is to understand that, no, this is what we need to do. We're not going to react to what's happening. We're going to stick with this because it's going to come around. It's going to come around. We're not getting away from this. I can't tell you how many examples I have of this. Things I've seen and things I've done. One more time, just so it sinks in. We naturally want to abandon a game plan that's not working. But you can't. That doesn't mean, okay, that doesn't mean that you need to basically do the same thing verbatim, the same thing altogether. You could probably throw some wrinkles in there if you want. But the minute you cut bait, And the minute you try to take a shortcut or the minute you try to outthink the process, Tony Bennett did not do that versus Auburn. That's why they won. You know, the minute you try to outthink the room and outthink yourself, you're going to get outthought by yourself. And that's a loser. That's That's a horrible proposition. It's a horrible thought process. But yet it's amazing how I see this all the time. Look, 2022 has been the year of years for me. I mean, I mean, where do I start? I mean, in one week, in five days, excuse me, five days will be one year of me not having any alcohol. How ridiculous is that? I mean, how crazy is that? Anyone that knows me just knows like there's, there's just no way that's possible. 
this isn't about me and I'm not trying to make it about me. My point is like my game plan, okay, this was just the wrong game plan. What I was doing before was was the wrong thing to do because it was so easy to do, all right? To not deal with things the way you have to or you're born to do and like a man would and dealing with it like a coward because that's what I was. So, of course, like I said earlier, you don't have to dance with the one you came with, but you have to dance. There can be wrinkles in the game plan. But a guy like me, after they realized how horrible you have made things with everyone around you, particularly your immediate family, of course we're going to have to change the offense. We're going to have to change it a little bit. But God damn it, we're still running the offense. We're still being aggressive. We're being aggressive in my professional settings. I come after my competition. I know who they are. I get in here and find out where they are, and I exploit them constantly. You know, I missed the entire month of January for a sales company that's wildly aggressive. I'm 200% of plans somehow, 1.5 million. My plan was 700,000. I doubled that in 11 months. There's a lot of things that are working out well for me that I'm not doing this. Was there some luck there? Of course. Of course there was luck. And I have great management and great teammates and great inside salespeople and product development and R&D and all these guys that are amazing. My point is that like the reason I was able to do this is because I'm still running the offense. Do you understand? If you don't, look, it's easy to just change it all, right? And then just punt. But just because you change the way you live or they change the way you're gambling or they change the way you're working or the way that you're talking to your wife or your kids, it doesn't mean that this whole thing has to get scrapped. It just means you have to, whatever you decide to do needs to still be that aggressive defense like UVA and aggressive offense like the Patriots and the Saints, whatever you want to call it, but you still have to do it. As elementary and stupid as that sounds, you would be shocked at how often you could look around with your own two eyes and see this happening right in front of you. You want to go up to someone and say, hey, what the fuck are you doing? You ever just wanted to say that to somebody right in their ear? Hey, come here. Say it really calm so only they can hear it. You know, tighten up, pal. We're running the offense here. Get in line. Oh, by the way, this next one, toss sweep, you're a wide receiver in the slot, you better be blocking. <laughs> better be. When I got back in February of, 2020, of this year, I'm telling you, just reevaluating my own playbook and understanding how I was going to execute this was the scariest, and I thought it was going to be the most difficult thing I've ever had to do, but it wasn't. You want to know why? One more time. Because I'm just running the fucking offense. That's why. That's why. No huddle. We have timeouts if we need them. We're trying to score. We're going. That's how we're going to do it. And the more you can relate to this, the more you can stay away from that stagnation of simplicity. It is, a, it is a pit of despair. And it sucks you in like quicksand. You can't get out of this thing. I'm not trying to have some Keanu Reeves speech here about quicksand like on the replacements. But I'm just telling you, it's easy for this to happen to you. And it's not about substance abuse or, or anything else you're addicted to. It's not even about addiction. All this is, is just a good way to look at things. Because if you're not running the offense, someone else is. Probably getting cucked by the milkman. <laughs> That's one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life last week. It actually inspired me to do it this week just to change things up. But I've said it twice. Here's the last time. And then we'll get into it. You don't have to dance with the one you came with. But you do have to dance. You feel me? There are a lot of games coming up in this next slate. Probably the most I've had in a while. But all the games I like are being jammed into the same week. That's how we're going to have to do it. Let me tell you guys something before we get going here. This whole thing about running the offense. I really mean that. And, and it's funny too when we see this. Especially for the example it's meant to be the direct one. Where a football team just forgets who the hell they are, and then they revert to reacting and other things that are not going to get them into the end zone as many times as they need to win. This is something that I do not think is going to happen with Texas Christian. I want to just take one second before I get in the other games to talk to you right now of how I feel about TCU. Now, look, I understand how that sounds when I say I think they can win a national championship. 
I understand how it sounds when I say I think they're going to beat Michigan. It sounds like a guy, like, you're trying to have a hot take, right? I don't do that, though. And everyone knows that, knows me, knows that that's not really my thing. I really do believe they can. But the thing that I don't understand is how so many people think that that is just impossible, how this just can't happen. And for me, I, I just would say soon, line up the schedules. Line them both up and tell me what team you know more about. You're going to tell me you know more about Michigan because of one game? I don't know. I mean, you could have called Ohio State with their pants down one game. I'll tell you this. FanDuel came out with the line. If Ohio State were to win and Michigan were to win, Ohio State is a four-point favorite over Michigan in a neutral site. I just said that. So clearly, makers don't think much of Michigan. A team that just beat Ohio State by 70 on their own field would be a dog to Ohio State on a neutral field, and everybody and their mother would have Michigan, which would force me to bet Ohio State, who for the first time ever is undervalued. We'll get to that briefly in one second as well. But when you look at what Michigan's done, you can kind of get me on the blowout at home versus Penn State. But the problem with Penn State is I don't think they're any good. The problem with Penn State is they don't have any good wins. The problem with Penn State and Michigan is they both started so high up in the rankings, particularly Penn State, that if your only losses are to Ohio State and Michigan, well, you're not really going to be far that far out of anything now, are you? Never mind the Illinois game that they had. There's a lot of things about Penn State that kind of bug me. There's a lot of things about that conference that bug me. But the thing that bugs me the most is that Michigan opened up playing three teams that you won't even find in bowl games except for UConn. UConn was the best team they played in the first month because they played Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. Those two or three of the worst teams in college football. And they didn't even have to go on the road until the middle of October. And they went to Iowa. All we know about Michigan is they should have lost to Illinois, who only had 60% of their starters in for that game. All I know about Ohio State is that they kind of squeaked by at the end until Michigan come in there and pound on them. But I know a lot about Texas, Texas Christian. This is a team that not only has won every game except for their last one, they've done it in different manners. Look, they went into Austin. Texas is still pretty good when they play everybody. Held Texas to seven points at home. Won a defensive struggle. Other games like the one versus West Virginia and some other ones, they won in a shootout. They can go in a shootout. They can go in a defensive game if they have to. The thing about this game that no one seems to be talking about is Michigan probably has not just the lesser talent quarterback. It's like another mile as far as I'm concerned of where these other guys are. McCarthy's not the guy that you think he is, even though his rating, his quarterback rating would appear to be really good, right? 16th. Total quarterback rating, Duggan being 14th, Bennett being 6th, and then Stroud being 3rd. Those are the four guys in this thing. What I don't understand is how everyone just seems to think that just because Michigan is playing this team at this certain time with these players, TCU should be lucky to be here. They lost to Kansas State. They beat Kansas State earlier, lost to them in the conference championship. I get it. I get it all. I get it all. But if you're going to tell me that this Michigan team is seven and a half, hands down, hands down, better than Texas Christian. I'm going to tell you they definitely don't have the better the better quarterback. They have a better coach. They have a better offensive line. I'm not sure about much else. And before we talk about this Michigan defense, they have not hardly seen an offense outside of Ohio State that's even in the top 25 for anything in just the P5, let alone college football alone. Texas Christian, in my opinion, has the best quarterback in this thing right now. That's right. I said that. And Duggan is really, really, really good for a lot of reasons. Look, man, the raw stats of this guy speak for themselves. 3,300 yards, 68% completion, 30 touchdowns, four interceptions, 14th the highest quarterback rating. He has some fumbles that hurt him. Ran for 400 yards and six touchdowns. He's one of the hardest sacks in football. And don't forget, he runs a 4 4 8 40. This is breakaway runaway speed for the ginger. This ain't I can move around speed. This is breakaway speed. And that's something that Michigan's going to have to deal with. I think this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. If you told me TCU won by 10 to 14 points or more, I wouldn't be that surprised. Coaching advantage to Michigan, quarterback advantage to TCU. And I think people just have a complete misunderstanding of what TCU actually is. And I feel that I am correct about that. But I could be horrifically wrong. And the good news is I'll own up to it either way. We'll find out on the next show. But for starters right now, before I kick in the normal Molly, TCU plus the seven and a half on the record. 
TCU plus the 285 on the money line and TCU plus 1800 to win this whole goddamn thing. Where's that Molly? Let me see it. There we go. Let's start off at Florida State. Florida State gunning for their 10th win. A team we backed in one of our college win totals, a winner. Florida State, a team, had a rough stretch in the middle of the season, hasn't lost a game in a while. Should have won at least one of those three games they lost, but that's all right. They're playing an Oklahoma team who has about 16 people that have opted out. The transfer portal is wide open for Oklahoma. But Florida State has something going on I've never quite seen before. They hardly have anybody opting out of this game. And their leading tackler in the last three years, Gaynor, has kind of got lost in their own depth chart at linebacker. He's transferring out on good terms of Florida State as he wants to finish his career elsewhere. He's transferring out, but he's playing in this game today. <laughs> that never happens. Clearly, clearly the coach right now has the ear of the locker room. Clearly he has the heart of the locker room. Florida State understands what this bowl game means. Oklahoma is a joke. And by the way, something tells me Florida State wants to give something to Venables. Clemson's defensive coordinator now coaching Oklahoma State. Something tells me this game might get really ugly. So on the record here, Florida State minus the nine and over 38 team total doing both. Florida State minus the nine, over 38 points on the team total. Get on that now. Those are going to go up. And we like Florida State to crucify this team today. And we also have another one in here I want to talk about. I'm going to be on the favorites today. Minnesota's kind of on the same train right now. The Gophers, P.J. Fleck, row the boat. They're going to play Syracuse. I think by the time the episode comes out, the game will have started. We got it up on the Instagram page a couple hours ago, so that's good. Syracuse has so many opt-outs, I don't even know how they're going to finish this football game. And P.J. Fleck and Minnesota do not ever take anything for granted the way these guys go. They're laying 10 and a half. I bought that down to 10. It was cheap, 16 cents. So we're taking Minnesota minus the 10 on the record. Minnesota minus the 10. Instagram play this one. Pittsburgh is playing UCLA in a couple days. Pittsburgh's getting five and a half points. UCLA having their problems with transfers. And I don't even think UCLA is that good. Just go back to when South Alabama had them beat, outgained them, outplayed them in their backyard. And should have won that game a team from the Sun Belt traveling across the country and running for 16 miles all over UCLA. Pitt is a pretty tough football team, but I think we get a better line. We're going to Instagram that one. As you know, we have Tulane. Dance with the one you came with. I'll dance with that one I came with. Oh, getting one and a half now. <coughs> As we know, I have met minus one and a half. Now they're plus one and a half. And to keep things going for Tulane, quarterback Michael Pratt and everyone else has decided they are not transferring. Tulane's returning everybody next year except for a couple guys that didn't get drafted and then graduate and go on with their lives. We love Tulane versus USC. We're going to be on the record. We have Tulane minus one and a half because that's what we got at. You got to get that one and a half. Now get the plus. I got the minus. LSU minus 12 and a half. Now at 14 and a half. The Tigers mirror exactly what I think is going on with the exception of Boutte opting out. Where's the drunk neighbor? He's going to go nuts when he sees that. Probably sure, pretty sure he already has. But I think LSU is too much for them anyway, as good as Boutte is. They really don't need this guy to move the ball. Neighbors is playing. We still have the best quarterback by far in the game, a better coaching staff. Purdue just lost their coach. This could be a bomb-out game for LSU. We love the Tigers, minus the 12-and-a-half. You're probably going to have to get them at 14-and-a-half and then just probably buy that to 14. You don't want to lay a hook on a kill number. If you can prevent that, then do it. Utah, minus 2-and-a-half versus the biggest joke in college football. Look, I just don't get it. All right, I, I don't understand this Penn State shit. I never will. All right, Franklin's not that good of a coach. I mean, I'm, a lot of people are going to Vanderbilt and won six games. Who cares? Like, he's not that good of a coach. Guy just constantly beats the race drum for a country and a system that made him a millionaire for not winning a goddamn thing. What are you, what's his signature win? His almost win versus USC in the Fiesta Bowl six years ago when Darnold got up in that ass? Trace McBorley? Fuck out. This is ridiculous. Utah's better coach, better quarterback, better defense, better run game, more professionals on their team than Penn State. I understand why it's only two and a half. I get it. I don't care. I'm taking Utah, the money line personally, but for the show's sake, remember we have to, we're going to lay the two and a half because we can't do money lines on the show. So 
for the show seg, Utah minus two and a half. Quick recap. TCU plus the seven and a half. Florida State minus the nine over 38 team total. We like Pittsburgh plus the five and a half. Hold on now an Instagram play. We like Minnesota minus the 10. Tulane plus the one and a half. I have minus one and a half. Utah minus the two and a half. And LSU minus 12 and a half. Let me taste something, Franklin. I hate you, but my listeners hate you. And you remember that scumbag forever. That was my best Alex Jones I could possibly do. Anadotions, we are going to roll these bowl games. I'm loving them. Get on Texas Christian. The money line on Michigan as well. Do not sleep on these guys. I am dead serious. I think they send Michigan home. Oh, and one more. How can I forget? Ohio State, why are they even here, right? Why are they even here? I mean, they're horrible. Did you see the game versus Michigan? Georgia's the best team in the world. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to show me. I call. Let's see your cards. We're not taking Ohio State plus the six and a half yet because I feel we're going to get a better line if we wait. If that line does jump up to seven or more, I'll be taking Ohio State on the podcast. You know what? No, I don't want to put it on the record yet. I'll just do it anyway. On the record. Give me the six and a half. I think Ohio State wins the game. I think Ohio State is going to play TCU in the national championship. I do. I really do. So add that onto the record. Give me Ohio State for the first time ever being a dog or undervalued with all those I just said. Give me Ohio State plus the six and a half. And if you don't like these games, lick my taint. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Reach out, touch your brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today. Follow us at the Sports Antelope. Has anybody seen Bro Exotic? Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. Bro Exotic jumps on the sports antelope. What's going on, bro? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic. Uh, Vice Pope of Cow, Church of Woke. What's going on, dude? Sick. I am actually watching a crazy college football game right now. And speaking of which, I'm sure you're going to have a good take on your next pick i want to congratulate you first off once again woke forest has come in and covered in bro exotic for those of you counting at home if you don't know you are four and oh with woke forest i mean i think that coincidence uh cannot be a coincidence dude uh they're woke and ready to go uh every week and uh you know uh cows all over that shit dude we're uh we're ready to make that uh (laughs) that non-binary money dude to help um, facilitate our acquisitions for more Buffalo right wings uh, in a town near can you. Suggest, can I suggest a t-shirt, a, a t-shirt idea, maybe like a church of wokes all over that shit. I think that would be incredible. So yeah, especially if it can be charred nice, nice and charred when it's nice delivered char- to you uh, <clears throat> yes. straight out the oven. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think it's great. Well, congratulations to you for once again, picking a winner. And I am curious to see where you're going this week. I don't really know. So why don't you go ahead and just take us away. There's a social travesty going around this country, dude. (laughs) Of course. Uh, (laughs) There's a bunch of people, uh, breeders as we will call them, who like to go around having uh, adult interactions, uh, sexual intercourse, as you may call it. And then you want to have these social gatherings that they want to refer to as gender reveals. You said gender reveals, right? This should be illegal. (laughs) Gender reveals are here by now canceled forever because the fetus in fact has no time at all to select its gender. This is unbelievable. This is an, an unbelievable cancellation of civil rights, dude. I cannot believe this. We are stupefied as cow church woke, and we hereby now cancel all gender reveals. There is no fetus. When they have a gender reveal, they cannot choose to be pansexual. They cannot choose to be demigod 
transracial pre-species. It, it's ridiculous, dude. So we are going to cancel all gender reveals, dude, until we get better fetus rights. I think it's, uh, you know, hashtag women's rights, dude, but we really have to focus on uh, fetal rights here, dude, uh, especially with their fetal genders. Uh, so all that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, go to the Orange Bowl. We're going to take Tennessee plus five and a half against Clemson. <laughs> okay. Well, bro, I try. I really don't want to mess up your flow. <clears throat> and I know you have to constantly remind us of the ever-growing living document acronym within the woke community. I don't understand the correlation at all between backing Tennessee and the Orange Bowl in comparison to gender reveals. I'm sorry. I just don't. I don't. I don't well, I mean, um, well, it's, it's like how much time do you have, dude? Uh, <laughs> just, I, guess, just a I, I guess a cobra does not know how to be a mongoose. Uh, <laughs> you, you just don't understand the, the woke uh, mental state of mind, dude. And that's not my problem. Uh, I just don't have enough time to really explain this one to you. Are you telling me that's a that's a me problem, right? Uh, it's more of a you problem, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, I thought well, it was pretty self-explanatory, the <laughs> woke equation here. Um, well, I mean, far be it any sense you know me being uh you know some sort of troglodyte like neanderthal you know trumper how would i yeah. know what you're talking about but i do want to thank you though bro for not getting frustrated with me and just remembering that i'm not nearly as woke as thou art but i will be pulling for your pick it makes no sense it's probably a lock yes i've uh i've learned to uh to take hold of my aggression towards uh, those less woke fortunate. Um, so cisgender, that's fine, dude. Cisgender yes. uh, and patriarchal as you typically are. Um, women's rights, everyone knows this. Uh, so just, uh, you know, we're just, just take my word for it, dude. Uh, Bro. Reveals and uh, Tennessee plus five and a half in the Orange Bowl, uh, defeating Clemson. Um, we don't have five hours for me to explain this. Uh, sure. And um, and what and th- through my uh, expertise in wokeology, uh, so just just take my take my opinion here. Just take my word for it. Uh, Tennessee. I am. Uh, because of gender reveals. Yes. Okay. So now that we got that out of the way, I am uh, going to. Yes, I agree. But here's the thing, though. What happens if in the Orange Bowl, which clearly could be something named after the Orange Man? Are you prepared to see MAGA hats in the Orange Bowl or they just be immediately canceled and or thrown out of the game in case that happens? Uh, we're prepared to uh, to cancel any and all people, uh, <laughs> even semi uh, supporting Donald Trump in any way shape, or form in this Orange Bowl because he is the Orange Man. Uh, we will not do this. Um, in, in protest of anyone doing that, we will simply kneel like Colin is Kaepernick. Uh, got it, and uh, that'll be that'll be the end of it. I mean, so that be... all right. Well, we'll certainly as, keep... as far as fan interaction goes, we will simply kneel in protest of any orange man uh, at the game. Uh, however, Tennessee will win, uh, plus five and a half uh, in this game, dude. Okay, well, noted plus five and a half. We don't know why, but we're not supposed to know why, and who cares. There could be MAGA in the Orange Bowl. Clearly, it ended after the Orange Man. Screw it. It might be an effing field goal. You never know. Dude. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It's a sick bro. Well, bro, Exotic, thanks for jumping on the Sports Antelope. We'll be looking forward to you coming on next week for the playoffs. We'll get into that. Anything you want to close with, bro? Uh, yeah, dude. No joke. Stay woke. Uh, and we'll see you next week, dude. Hashtag men's rights. Uh, hashtag they've had rights since the beginning of time. So you're, you got your wish. Well played. All right, bro. See you next week. (laughs) All right. Cheers, dude. (laughs) Thanks to Bro Exotic for jumping on the Sports Antidote here. Episode number 132. We're just running the offense. Look, that's all we're doing. Running the offense in our job. Trying to run the offense through the offensive coordinator, who is the wife. In my case, she's the defensive coordinator. Actually, she's both. I'm kind of the facilitator. (laughs) 
You know what I mean by running the offense. Just go ask Bill Belichick as they ass-pounded Buffalo. I miss those days. I miss the days of the Patriots just annihilating the Jets. I hate the Jets. I hate the Buffalo Bills. I hate the Dolphins. I used to love watching the ransacking of this division every single year. And everybody complains. And they and they don't like Tom Brady. I don't like him that because he plays for the Bucks, But I didn't like him before because you're a hater. And they cock, hardcore cocking. And they cock. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Reach out, touch your brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today. Follow us at the Sports Antelope. Get on Danny's Bell's picks because I ain't losing none. Keep it real and a dotions.